Hello and welcome to Dare to Use the F Word, the podcast that brings you stories about how millennials are taking on feminist ideas and making them their own. I'm Rebecca Lee Douglas, and I'm here today with Carly Crane, who works as a research assistant for the Barnard Center for Research on Women. Dare to Use the F Word is a production of Barnard College and the Barnard Center for Research on Women. In today's episode of the podcast, we're going to share an interview with writer and activist Miriam Perez. She's one of the founders of the Doula Project. When doulas first started practicing in the 1970s, they assisted and supported mothers before and during childbirth. But women today are reshaping what it means to be a doula. For example, Miriam describes herself as a radical doula. She collects profiles of other non-traditional doulas on her website, radicaldoula.com. And she writes about the ideology behind her work in her book, The Radical Doula Guide. Before we listen to Miriam introduce the idea of radical doulas, let's hear her explain how the whole concept of doula work initially came about. My sense is that it really was a response to the alienation that women are experiencing giving birth in hospitals. There were moments in that time where male partners weren't even allowed to be in the room. So there, you know, there's lots of ways in which our medical system kind of alienated people. And, and so the doula role was a way to try to improve people's experiences of pregnancy and childbirth. And there was some research done in the 70s by um, a couple of anthropologists, Klaus and Kennel, that showed that even just having a woman sitting in a, in a room with another woman giving birth improved her experiences. And then they tested it again, but with, with that woman not just sitting there, but also like holding her hand and talking to her and it improved not only her experience of the labor but also the outcomes so less c-sections less interventions all these different things that um, can have negative impacts on the health of the of the person giving birth and the kids so there's a lot of arguments made for it that not just about maternal satisfaction but also about health outcomes and how it improves them so what would you say is the benefit of having a a doula by your side uh, as opposed to just a good friend who wants to support you during your pregnancy I mean, the main difference is a doula has training, right, and has been kind of educated on, A, how, do, how can a doula be supportive? B, like, what is labor and delivery like? You know, I think one of the reasons why this model of support has been developed is because the knowledge of pregnancy and birth has become much more kind of segregated from, like, life and society. And, you know, before the modern medical system and hospital birth, um, people gave birth in their homes and in their communities. And so, there was much more of a shared knowledge about birth, even if you you yourself had not given birth. And in the way that we do it in the U.S., it's sort of like you you get pregnant and then you like get whisked off to go give birth in this place that sometimes people visit you and are there, but it's it feels like the knowledge is very like segregated off. And so, you know, you really don't know anything about pregnancy and childbirth until you give birth, or maybe you decide that you want to do something like a doula training. The other thing I think that doulas do is there there there's somebody in the room with no agenda? The partner is obviously really invested <laughs> in the birth and in the in the relationship with the person giving birth and all that. Whereas a doula is kind of this like third perspective that can just really try to be really focused on providing unconditional non-judgmental support to the person giving birth. That's just focused on like what do you want? How do you have the best experience? So, in that way, I think it's beneficial that doulas aren't your best friend or your sister. Um, But I do think that there is a lot of potential in just kind of teaching people the doula model of care so that you do have more people in your community in your life who could do that for you. I don't think that we can really scale a model where um, everyone has to hire a private doula. Most people don't have the access to the resources for that. That just doesn't, to me, doesn't seem like the, the right solution. And so is there a way in which we can teach this kind of model of care to people in the community and in your family so that 
you don't have to go to like hiring an expert to be able to get the support to help navigate the medical system. So I read that you initially went to college with the idea that you were going to be pre-med and become a doctor. How did you transition from thinking that you were going to go into medicine um, to thinking about doula work? What actually kind of got me to doula work was a class I took at, at um, actually at Bryn Mawr. I went to Swarthmore, which is like half an hour away from Bryn Mawr, and we could take classes at any of the campuses. And so I took a class on the anthropology of reproduction. And in that class, we watched a documentary, Born in the USA. And it's a documentary that chronicles three different birthing environments. Um, a midwife, like a hippy-dippy midwife at a home in Seattle, a midwife in a birthing center in the Bronx, and then an obstetrician in a hospital setting. And it was just one of those things where I, you know, I watched this hour-long documentary and I walked out of that class and I was like, that just changed my life. And it kind of brought together so many of the things that I cared about and gave me this kind of new um, agenda, which was we're doing things really wrong. <laughs> like the way that we're treating pregnant women and the way that we're bringing babies into the world is just fundamentally wrong. So then that, that basically inspired me to become a midwife instead of a doctor. Obviously, midwifery is a really, really old profession. I mean, most people prior to like the 1900s were delivered by midwives. A large percentage of people in the, in the world are still delivered by midwives who are trained professionals, but not necessarily through our like Western medical model, but are trained on specifically how to provide care to pregnant folks and to help them give birth. So in the U.S., midwifery was kind of revived, quote unquote, in the 70s, also as part of like the feminist women's health movement. So now, you know, there's there's two different types of midwifery in the U.S. There's nurse midwifery. So you're trained as a nurse and then you do additional training. And then there's midwives in the U.S. who aren't trained as nurses, uh, are trained through apprenticeship programs or through schooling that's not nursing um, and that mostly provide home birth midwifery care. And those are called certified professional midwives. So you're in this class and there were some things that struck you about our current system that you, you felt like this is not right. This definitely needs to be changed. Do you remember what some of those things were? I was really influenced by Robbie Davis Floyd, who's an ac academic and an anthropologist who's written about. She wrote a book called Born in the USA that's all about the modern sort of technocratic model of birth. You know, it, it feels like it's a disease model. It's It looks at pregnancy as a disease and as a potential, basically a, a problem waiting to happen rather than like a natural process that, you know, sometimes challenges arise, right? It's not that it's always perfect, but a lot of it had to do with feeling like these interventions that we do, epidurals, inductions, C-sections, that they're all being used too much and too often and in a way that is um, harmful. So, you know, it was, just, it was for me, it was really like learning about the midwifery model and learning about the sort of medical model and seeing so clearly what, what the problems were. And then the other thing I learned a lot about was other countries that do still have a midwifery model or have brought it back. I'm actually not sure exactly, but like the UK, for example, um, their medical system, majority of people give birth with midwives. And then you only go to an obstetrician if you have like, if you're high risk or there's something going on. A lot of the countries that have better outcomes than we do, it's because the midwifery care is the majority of people have midwives and the minority of people have obstetricians, which I think is the right balance because the vast majority of um, labor and labors and deliveries don't actually need the level of intervention that we provide in our hospital setting. So, you know, one of the statistics that gets touted a lot is the fact that despite the fact that we spend more than any other country on healthcare per capita, our maternal mortality, so the number of women who die during labor and our infant mortality, number of babies who die during labor, is like 49th in the world. 
So 48 other countries rank better. They do better. Moms do better. Babies do better. Less people die during childbirth. So you started training as a doula at uh, Dona, which was one of the very first training centers for doulas. And I read that you decided not to complete your certification there. So so why was that? And has not being certified been uh, a problem at all for you? Right. So yeah, so after I, I took that class and saw that documentary, I was like, I'm going to be a midwife. And um, I ended up spending a week shadowing a midwife who was an alum of my college through a program that we have in Boston. And she was like, you know, um, you should become a doula first to see if you really want to do this. So I ended up doing a donor training because that was what was sort of available to me. And at the time, I mean, this was in 2005. They were probably, I mean, they're still the largest doula organization, but at, at the time they were probably one of very few. There's been more growth in kind of the doula organizations over the years. And so the first step for like becoming a certified doula, and this is all part of like the professionalization of doula work that some of which I have concerns about. And, you know, from Dona's perspective, it's about being able to standardize the practice and being able to, like, define what doulas are and be able to say, if you're a Dona certified doula, that means X about your training and stuff. So I understand where they're – and they're also, um, you know, they have a financial investment, right? These people pay to be trained. They pay for certification. like, And it also helps them to make the case for the legitimacy of doulas, right? So I, I did the doula training, and then I spent a summer working as a volunteer doula at a public hospital in North Carolina. And I intended to do the certification. You know, I even bought the certification packet. And and then I just, it felt weird to me. It felt weird to be in the hospital setting, volunteering with these folks, and then asking them to fill out a bunch of paperwork. Um, some of the folks I was supporting were monolingual Spanish speakers. And I'm assuming now they probably have forms in Spanish, but I don't remember at the time having that. I didn't know about the literacy of the folks I was supporting, like, can they read and write? And so I didn't do it. It's never been a barrier to me, but I've also never made money from working as a doula. I've made money through like writing about doula work, but never actually as a doula. All my doula work has been through volunteer entities and organizations, and so I've done it for free. So um, none of those groups have ever required certification. So in 2007, this was after you had graduated from Swarthmore, you founded or you formed the doula project which was initially called the abortion doula project with lauren mitchell and mary mahoney so how did you decide to to form this project and why did you initially want to focus on the idea of an abortion doula yeah so i mean at the time i was working for a reproductive justice organization so i was doing kind of like abortion rights and reproductive rights activism and i wasn't really sure how the doula stuff fit in there wasn't a lot of like conversation between the two worlds But through some conferences that I went to, I started to hear about this idea of doulas, birth doulas, being trained to provide support, specifically to folks having kind of later abortions. Even though my training had been just about birth, I saw the ways in which the skill set and the model of supporting people during pregnancy and childbirth could be applied to supporting someone during an abortion. I also liked the idea of it politically, that it kind of pushed back on the distinction between abortion and birth, that they're two different things that are antithesis to each other, that happen in different spaces, that happen to different people, like bringing those two things together to recognize that the same people have abortions or the people have kids and like it's just one moment in a spectrum of your life. And so that was some of the thinking and why like the term abortion doula felt important. And it was this like there's these two movements, the birth activists over here who don't want to talk about abortion because it's controversial and the abortion rights people over here who don't talk about like birth because they're so focused on abortion um and that and that distinction has also been created by like our political 
system and the way in which abortion has been segregated. And then, you know, Lauren and Mary went on to, I left New York and the two of them really created this incredible, incredible program that, you know, provides support across the spectrum of pregnancy, miscarriage, abortion, adoption in New York City in many, many different settings. And it's just really, I think, an incredible model for how we can try to provide, you know, caring and and sensitive interventions into a medical system that doesn't care for people's like emotional health particularly well. So uh, tell me about then going on to create Radical Doula. It was really for me, not just about abortion, but also about um, being Latina and feeling kind of, and a child of immigrants and feeling some disconnect from the birth activist world around that stuff, around race and identity, um, also about being queer, all these things that, because the birth activist world is is like majority white, majority straight, um, you know, very feminine, very gender conforming, all these different things that felt um, very distinct from who I was. That was really what I was like trying to explain to people. And at the time, it was really like I felt really alone because of all those things. And so I wanted to find other doulas who felt similarly. So it was really like kind of a community building thing. And now there's way, way, way more people in the movement who I feel community with. Over the years, it's become less about my identity and more about like a political framework. Can you sort of flesh out that idea of the political framework that it's a part of? I know you write about it in um, your book, The Radical Doula Guide. The core of it is that you put at the center of your work the people who are most marginalized and most impacted. And you try to change things such that they have everything that they need. And then everybody's improvement, everybody's situation changes and improves. That's really what I see um, and what, you know, some people call birth justice. You know, I would see it as like the radical dual political philosophy. But when it comes to maternity care in the U.S., we cannot have a birth activist framework that doesn't center the experiences of women of color because women of color are suffering the most when it comes to to, um, outcomes, death, infant mortality, low infant birth weight, all these kind of indicators of um, good maternal infant health are the worst in particularly in the African-American community, but also in other um, communities of color, like the Latino community, the Native American community, um, even in the API community, to differing degrees, right? To me, the birth activist world, the movement, I mean, a lot of these organizations, institutions are really not centering race and racial justice in in any significant manner, which means that um, we're we're not actually making a dent in any of these outcomes. They're actually getting worse in lots of places. We have a lot, a lot of work to do, and it's, um, a really challenging thing to try to address with people, particularly racism. It's not always clear to folks. It's not always easy to see exactly what the linkages are, but we have to do that work because we're really just replicating the status quo by creating birth centers where rich white women can have great birth experiences, but like they were already doing okay in the hospital. Like they deserve to have whatever birth they want, but they also aren't the folks that actually need, who are, for whom this situation is actually about life and death. It's not just about do I have, you know, the most peaceful, serene birth? It's actually like a, um, you know, does my kid survive? Do I survive? You know, am I treated with respect in the hospital or am I treated like I shouldn't be having more children because I'm a woman of color or because I'm a teen mom or because I'm low income? Like there's just some really fundamental ways in which people are treated really, really horribly. And and that just doesn't feel like it's being um, prioritized. It seems like I've noticed all of these women recently, like young women who out of college are deciding to become doulas or to study midwifery or, you know, it's, it seems to be becoming like a popular sort of hip thing to do. So, so why do you, why do you think that is? <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. You know, it's like when I, 
when I started doing this stuff, like whatever, how many years ago it was now, like nobody knew what a doula was, like especially a bunch of young people on a college campus. And now it's it's really, it does feel like it's kind of the, the hip thing to do. I think part of it is that um, people are looking for ways to, to um, kind of make change that feel tangible. So there's lots of activist work now that feels very distant <clears throat> from like the people that are actually impacted. So, you know, online activism or different types of like political activism that are kind of big picture. And I found that doing like one-on-one doula work is a really kind of grounding way to just be like, wow, like I hung out with you for an afternoon. I like smiled at you. I like held your hand. I like tried to, to comfort you during, you know, a painful procedure. And I can see that that made an impact, even if it's a small one, that people are really excited and interested in, I don't know, a different way to, to make a change or to to do something that helps people or to support their friends. Like, who knows what the investment is, but um, it's definitely a growing, a growing trend. Thank you, Miriam, for sharing your views with us. We look forward to bringing you other interviews with young feminist activists in the next podcast. Miriam Perez is the communications director at Forward Together, a nonprofit which works with community leaders to transform culture and policy and to catalyze social change. You can read more about her work as a doula at radicaldoula.com. So what is the future of the doula? Like Miriam said, every woman really deserves a safe environment, access to fair and kind treatment, and ultimately the opportunity to choose the type of birth that she wants. But the radical potential for doulas, the future Miriam and birth activists are working so hard to reach, is the desegregation of knowledge about birth and pregnancy. The future of the doula is to reclaim that knowledge from hospitals and to integrate it into our culture, into our communities, and into our families. I'm from North Dakota, and when my mom was pregnant with me, she and my dad lived in this teeny rural town, which was about an hour and a half away from the nearest hospital. Um, And when she went into labor, I must have been really ready to come because she gave birth to me about 15 minutes after arriving at the hospital. And whenever I tell that story, you know, people think it's, like, really funny. And then they also are, like, kind of worried, you know, like, oh, my gosh, what would have happened if you gave birth or if your mom gave birth to you in the car? You know, your dad would have had no idea what to do, and it would have been terrifying, you know, for everyone. I really think that a birth activist might say that there's no reason a father shouldn't be able to aid his wife when she gives birth. By spreading knowledge about birth and pregnancies, birth activists have the potential to eliminate the feelings of fear or discomfort that accompanies a birth that takes place outside the hospitals. Birth activism sees birth as an integral part of everyday culture and knowledge. Thank you to Miriam Perez for sharing her story with us. Thanks also to Kibret Yabeti for her help on this episode. And a special thanks to Sarah Dooley, who composed our podcast theme, and to my co-host, Carly Crane. The short musical transitions in this podcast were composed by Pottington Bear. Check out more podcast episodes at the BCRW's website at bcrw.barnard.edu. Send your questions, comments, and ideas for future shows to bcrw at barnard.edu. That's all we have for today, but we'd like to leave you with a dare. Use the F word.